How we doing? Beautiful day, huh? <laughs> I love uh, the week, the weekly uh, connection point here on Sundays. Um, so many uh, of you around the room that uh, I've come to know over the years and the months or weeks or whatever maybe it's been, and I just uh, just love you and uh, love this community. It's uh, just a sweet place to be a part of. I hope that's for you uh, as well. And uh, if you're new, I, I hope you'll continue to stick around until it becomes that for you as well. It really is a special, special uh, group of folks to be able to do life with and journey with Jesus with as well. couple updates. Uh, Sarah Lawhorn is, was here first service. Maybe you saw her in between services if you came, but uh, I just uh, encourage you. Uh, she's in town for a bit here, so I just encourage you to you know, try to get an opportunity to meet her. If you have never met her before, if you know her already, then I encourage you to uh, yeah, just take some time to uh, just bless her and encourage her as she's uh, back home for a bit. Again, she's a missionary for us in Iraq and uh, yeah, had to come home a little prematurely, but uh, just continue to be caring for her and praying for her. Uh, also, I uh, wanted to let you know that I did get a, a hear from Jessica Christian, who uh, is in India. So she landed early this morning in her final destination. And so she's in a hotel room somewhere there. And uh, hopefully you're still sleeping and resting and recovering from some 30 hours of travel. So uh, continue to pray for her as she uh, heads out on these, this adventure with the Lord uh, for the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, but also heard uh, great testimonies already of just a few different women that she was able to share with on the planes uh, on the way there, just to be able to share the love of Jesus and uh, bless them. And so uh, anyway, really cool. God already opening up doors and opportunities for her to, to, yeah, to use her to bless others and to share the love of Jesus. So continue to pray for her. All right, we have uh, come to the final message in our Spiritual Senses uh, series. It's been a bit of a short series. Uh, this is the, uh, what is this, the seventh uh, message, I believe, on it. And so, uh, yeah, this will be the last one. Uh, enjoyed going through this again with you guys. Uh, but also just to here at the end, wanted to take a moment to, in some sense, kind of remind us of, you know, why we've been doing this and, and some of, you know, um, what I'm hoping to accomplish, I think, with this series. And, and, and in primary understanding, I think, to start with is that the Holy Spirit, unfortunately, is a point of division in the church today. Uh, it's, it's amazing that it could be, but, you know, it's just this reality that the, the one thing that is actually designed to unite us together, right, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right, that we would be one together with him, with Jesus, with each other, right, that that is actually Satan's tool to bring division in the church. Uh, we see this division played out uh, in, you know, every Sunday morning uh, as individuals who uh, are more charismatic, uh, more uh, Pentecostal if you will, a little more spirit-focused, more experiential and encountering and experiencing emotionally the, the, the presence of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit. You know, they go to one church, while those who have their doubts and questions about the mysterious nature of the Holy Spirit go to another church. And uh, so that is really comfortable because everybody gets to, you know, be in a place where everybody believes exactly like them and the church is completely divided and there's no unity. Um, my hope is that 
part of what I wanted to go through the spiritual senses is that we would recognize that there's opinions on both sides, but we need to hold those opinions with humility and come somehow to a middle ground or at least a ground where we can worship together with those on either side. The fact of the matter is we need the Holy Spirit. We need him to move. But we need him to mo- we need we need to understand him and operate in the Holy Spirit within the realities of his revealed truth and character as revealed in scripture. We we need those who are on the intellectual side and and doubt the Holy Spirit and its movement. We need to open up our hearts and our minds. We need to be humble enough to hold our theology a little bit loosely, to let go of our logical minds, and, and, and allow for the Holy Spirit to do something outside of our comfort zones. The reality is, is too often those on the intellectual side of faith have the tendency to put God in a box and keep him contained. Because then we can control him. We, we know he's not going to do anything crazy. He's not going to you know, ask me to go to Africa. No, he wouldn't do that. That's not the kind of God that I worship, right? Or, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's just reality. So those, if you're on that side of things and, and you haven't had a lot of experience with the Holy Spirit and, and you've got some theologies that push against some of the charismatic expressions of the, of the Spirit, then I just want to encourage you to open up your hearts and your minds to the possibility that the Holy Spirit can move in ways that you are not comfortable with. However, on the other side, I think the charismatic folks, those who are a little bit more open to the Holy Spirit moving, you also need to hold your experiences and your encounters with the Holy Spirit with humility. Recognizing that every emotion that you have, every experience you have, every encounter you have actually is not necessarily the Holy Spirit. And you need to allow for God's truth to rein you in at times to be able to let go of your experience and instead cling to God's truth. I think both sides in in most churches, whether they're in a charismatic church or a more intellectual style church, I think both sides, most Christians, the vast majority of Christians recognize that there's a Holy Spirit and that we need him. So the point of, I think, this series has been as well, the main point, has been to recognize our need to be aware of the spiritual realities that are going on in our world every moment of every day. That it is the Holy Spirit that is to guide us and to direct us. It is the Holy Spirit where we are able to know what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will, and follow him into it. It is where we hear the voice of God, that we, we would know that he is speaking to me and to me personally and directing me, me personally, not just corporately, not just to everyone, but to me in my particular situation. To be able to feel the presence of God with us, to know that he is with us, to know that he's not separated from us, to know that our sin doesn't even separate him. As Christians, right, he doesn't walk away from us when we sin. He is still right there with us. And we need to feel that presence and to know it, not just in our heads, but with our bodies, with our senses and with our emotions. We'd also be able to recognize the truth of God. 
to be able to smell that truth and to know what is real, what, what is happening around us, what are the spiritual realities around us, what is true about those things, what is true not just in a physical sense, but what we can see with our physical senses, but what we can see with our spiritual senses as well, what is true behind the scenes. Last week, we need to be able to see God's work. This is how we know what he's doing. This is how we know where to join him. If we can't see God's work, then we can't know what he's doing in the moment, and we can't join him in that moment. We're stuck with just going back to script. Well, this is what he did, and so I'm going to do this because, you know, the Bible says I'm supposed to pray, so I'm just going to pray. Well, wait a second. What if Jesus isn't praying right now? What if Jesus is feeding the 5,000? Don't you want to be a part of that? What if Jesus is healing a blind beggar? What if Jesus is raising the dead? We need to see what he's doing, not just with our physical eyes, but with our spiritual eyes, to know what business he's about right now so that we can join him in that. And as we'll see today, we also need to be able to taste his goodness. To know that the God who we worship is good. Not just because the Bible says he's good, but because we have experienced his goodness. So let's start there. The Bible does say that God is good. He is good, right? This is true about Scripture. Psalm 31, 19. I love this passage. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. It's abundant goodness. And I, and I think this is a reality for some of us. We're very content with God being just kind of a, you know, a, a good God, but not an abundantly good God. We're okay with not encountering and experiencing his goodness. We're okay with him just kind of being somewhat good to us. But I think we have to understand we have an abundantly good God and continue to pursue his goodness, ask for his goodness, look for his goodness, find his goodness, enjoy his goodness. We can't just, uh, you know, I think some of us are just like, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not good enough for God to be good to me. Like, I don't deserve anything. You're right. We don't deserve anything at all. But that's the reality of our God is that even though we don't deserve anything, he gives us everything. And that we would actually have a higher standard for the God that we worship. And not just like deal with just kind of the, the little pit, pittance that, you know, sometimes we, we experience. That if that's all we're getting, that we would ask for more, that we'd ask the Lord to help us to see the more that he's giving. Reality is most of us are abundantly already receiving goodness. We just may not see it. Thus, we need to learn to taste his goodness. God's goodness comes out of the fact that he is love, 1 John 4, 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. The God we worship is a loving God. His very existence is love. It is not too much to say that uh, any time that you experience any kind of true love from someone else, God is in it. God's behind that. Any time that you express true love to someone else, then God is in you, working through you to express that love. 
We cannot love unless we know the lover. And I think this is the challenge of the world that, that what the world faces. Every day long, every, every day, all day long, they don't, ha- they don't know the one who is love. Now, God is gracious, and he's, he's blessed even those who don't know him in some sense. But those in the world who have never bowed their knee to Jesus don't know true love. And if you don't know true love, you don't know how to give true love. And so there's this reality that the God who is love pours out his love into us and pours out his love through us. We see the scripture even teaches us and shows us the depth of this love that God has for us. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the kind of love that God has for us. It's it's a kind of love that comes and dies before we cease our rebellion. It's the kind of love that comes when we don't even, when we haven't even thought of him or turned to him or even considered letting go of our sin. Jesus didn't wait, right? He didn't wait for humanity to start to show signs of, you know, potential, It was in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our evil, in the midst of our rejection that he comes and he dies for us. He opens the door for us to experience, receive his love. John 15, 13, Jesus tells us that his death is the greatest possible love. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. Again, that's what Jesus did for us. He died for us. To open up the opportunity for us to receive his love and to pass on his love to others. I love the Matthew 7, 9 to 11 passage. Or which one of you, if his son asks for him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? His love is for us so much that he is wanting to abundantly bless us. But the question is, do we ever even ask him for it, right? And here's the thing is sometimes we're afraid to ask, right? Because what kind of gift are we going to get from God, right? I mean, we don't want him to, you know, deepen our faith because if he deepens our faith, well, that means there might be more expectation down the road, right? No, 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 no. Like we have to understand he is a good God and he's going to give us good gifts. And every gift he gives us is for our benefit, not just for his benefit. It's for our benefit to bless us, to encourage us, to draw us into greater intimacy, to give us what we need in order to share the love of Jesus with others. So we have a God who is good, and that goodness comes out of the fact that he is a loving God. But I think, you know, in essence, you can't talk about the goodness or the love of God without at least trying to address briefly the problem of evil. Many have wrestled, I'm sure, in this room, maybe all of us have, I know I have at one point, wrestled with this reality that, you know, how can we have a good God when the world is so full of evil? 
That just doesn't compute. You know, if God is all knowing, if God is all powerful and God is love and good, then why is there evil in the world? It seems like, you know, he's got the power to stop evil from happening, but he's not doing it. And if he doesn't do it, then that means that God isn't good. He's not loving. He's not, he's not the God that I want to worship. Many have used this reasoning in order to reject God or to at least question him. And so what do we do with this? Let me, let me, let me jump in. <laughs> I think it has been rightly said that if God never destroys evil, then he is not a good God. But we must understand that the destruction of evil doesn't have to happen today. If God were never in the economy of his world and his time ever to destroy evil, then he would not be good. If he just allowed it to continue on for all eternity, he would not be good. But because we have a God who is going to bring judgment, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and there will come that day when all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and have what we have done and what we have said evaluated, judged, and those who don't know Jesus are condemned, destroyed, evil destroyed. And so God is a God who will destroy evil, even though he's not done so yet. But understand as well, there's logic between, you know, how we get to evil from God's love. And it's about understanding what is love. Scripture teaches us very clearly that if God is truly loving, then he must allow for free will. We all, I think, all know this in our world uh, uh, in today, right? You know, anybody, if, you, if you're forced to love someone, is that person really loving to you? Do they really love you? If they are forcing you to respond to their love, react to their love, re receive their love, then that is not loving. And so a God who truly loves must allow for people to freely choose whether they're going to receive his love and return that love to him. Free will is a must in this world because this is the kind of love that God has. He doesn't want robots. He doesn't want us to force. He doesn't want to force his love. That's not love. He wants us to love him like he loves us, which means that we have to freely choose to love him to freely choose to respond to his love. That's the beauty. That's the, the wonderful thing about God's love. That's the kind of love that he's encouraging and wants to draw us into. He doesn't want robots. He doesn't want us to be forced into it. So true love allows others to choose to accept or reject it. And true love allows people to choose eternal separation if they want. If you get in conflict with someone, and even though you work your best to try to bring reconciliation, if they don't want to have another relationship with you anymore, there's nothing you can do about it. The loving thing, even if you know the best thing for them would be reconciled with you and to be able to be back in a relationship, you can't force it. Because if you do, you cross the line from being loving to being actually evil. Now, there's a next step of this logic. If God truly loves us, then he needs to allow us to freely choose to accept and re or reject him. But if there's free will, then that demands as well 
that we have to have the ability to do evil. We have to have the ability to do what we want, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. Again, it's out of God's love that he gives us free will. It is out of God's love that he allows us to choose to reject him and thereby do evil or accept him and thereby do loving and good things. We have that choice. Free will demands that God allows everyone to do what they want to do, whether evil or good. Evil exists in the world because God loves us so perfectly and so completely that he refuses to limit our ability to receive and respond to his love. Now, even though he allows evil, I think it would be a mistake for us not to at least recognize that he does limit evil. He allows it, but he limits it. And one of the most obvious ways that he limits evil is uh, Psalm 90, chapter, or verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. The fact that we have a lifespan and that death <laughs> is a part of our existence. Do, we, do you realize, like this is a great, uh, this is a limit of evil that God has put in place, but it's a great uh, uh, expression of God's grace, right? Imagine if we had to live for all eternity in this evil and just horrible place. Imagine if we, there was no escape, that this is what as our existence was going to be forever, that for thousands and millions of years, we would just have to continue. And imagine for the evil people that are in our world, if they had thousands and millions of years to do their evil. The fact that each of us knows that that day is coming when we'll breathe our last in this world that's a limit to evil evil of what we have to endure but also evil of those who are inflicting it on others i think god also limits the consequences of evil it's kind of amazing i think how he does this but i think we've all experienced it right when you know Sometimes we, I, you know, I don't know, I've prayed this prayer like, Lord, you know, every time I take a little step, you know, off of your way, will you just like smack me right away? Like you give me a consequence right away, right? Because I just, I don't want to go. And, and, you know, he seldom answers that prayer. But I think we've all experienced it where we take a step in the wrong direction or we step into sin in some way. And, and maybe we go days and weeks and months or years and there's really no consequence for that sin. For whatever reason, God allows for grace in that moment, and he doesn't bring consequences or judgment right away. Even think about our own lives. Some of us in this room maybe have only come to Christ in the last year or two. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord that you haven't died yet and faced the full consequence of your sin previously. But also, I think there's this reality, too, that he even, he even limits the consequences of what other evil people do to us. And he does that through, you know, I think of Romans 8, 28, again, a familiar passage. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. The reality is, is Jesus is a great redeemer. And even those painful and horrible things that other people have done to us, 
if we turn our eyes to Jesus, if we seek him in the midst of that trial and that pain, he is somehow able to take that horrible event and turn it around into something that's beautiful, that can be used to bless others, to bring glory to his name. It's unbelievable. It's, I don't understand how it works, but I know that that is the God that we serve, that he's able to take the evil that's been done to us and actually turn it around for his glory and for our blessing. And so we have a God who is good, and that goodness comes out of his love for us. He loves us deeply. He died on the cross for us. He gave his life for us, and he continues to give his life for us. And he's a God who gives abundantly. He loves to bless us. He wants to give us so much more. Are we open to it? Are we listening? Are we asking? And even when it comes to evil, we recognize that he's right in the midst of that, not causing evil, but he's working within it to limit evil as much as you can, but also allowing it so that each of us has the free will to be able to love him as he's designed. One other problem to deal with in regards to God's love, and that is simply discipline. <laughs> Some of us struggle accepting the fact that once we come into the kingdom of God, that we have a father that will occasionally discipline us. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 5, and 6. Of course, this chapter kind of outlines it, but just these couple of verses uh, kind of summarizes it. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. We have to understand that God loves us so much and he accepts us just as we are. But because of his love, he's not satisfied with allowing us to continue as we are. He's always drawing us so that we can enjoy more fully who we are in Christ. He wants us to enjoy righteousness more fully. We are righteous because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. But we want to, he wants us to experience that righteousness. He wants us to practically actually live rightly and so that we can enjoy that more fully, right? It's, and it's with all the things of our faith. You know, we have faith to trust God, but he wants to build that faith. He wants to draw us into greater maturity and greater and deeper faith in him and more trust in him so that every day of our life is focused on him and not not on the things around us and not on our circumstances, and not on the people. Or James 1, 2, and 3, one of the, you know, these are the verses that everybody hates, 2 to 4 actually. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So often, when life gets hard, whether God is disciplining us or whether it's just a trial that he's trying to use for our benefit and it turned into something beautiful, we so like often just go to like, get rid of this trial or get it out of my life. Get rid of this tension. I can't handle it. We, we get over it really quickly. So I just, I just want to be done with it. Where's our steadfastness in it? Well, I mean, where's like have its full effect. God is allowing these trials. God disciplines us makes life difficult sometimes for us so that we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Are you willing to allow a loving God to have his way in you? Are you willing to accept the trials that come, whether they be disciplines or just the challenges of life? 
in order that your faith might be deepened and that you may come to a greater trust and understanding of who God is. The reality is there are some aspects of God's character that we will never know until we've walked through certain trials. So this is the God that we worship, a God of love, a God of goodness, a God who continually working on our behalf to bring out that faith in him, that intimacy with him, to bring out that love that we get to receive from him, but also pass on to others. But the question is, can you taste his goodness? Do you know God? to be good. Not just because the Bible says so. Not just because other people say so. But do you know that God is good? We can taste God's goodness in the physical realm around us. See it, I think, every day. We get that job, right, that we've been wanting, you know, the promotion maybe. That's, that's God's goodness being poured out in our life. Sometimes it's just, you know, the financial wealth that we have, the ability to make ends meet each month, right? Sometimes that's just, you know, that's just a great goodness from God. The relationships that we have with others, you know, a, a family that is, you know, coming together, friends that we have that speak into our life and encourage us. These are physical blessings that we can see of God's goodness, successes, you know, being able to complete that task that we've been wanting to complete. But I think we also need to recognize that every breath that we take is God's goodness. Where you're born <laughs> is God's goodness. Have you ever reflected on that? Like, did you have any say in where, what country, what nation you'd be born in? What nation you'd be living, growing up in, right? Did you have any say in that yet? Most of us here, I think, were born, most of us, here in the United States. One of the wealthiest nations of all time in history. The blessing of that, that like the goodness of God. Not because we're great, but because he is. How about the family you grew up in? Now, some of us have families that are really rough. Others have really healthy families. Like, do you recognize that as a goodness of God, right? That he gave you that family. Or if you had an unhealthy family that's seen some reconciliation, right? Again, that's the goodness of God working in your family to bring about that reconciliation. How about just your own uh, talents and abilities? The things that you've used to make it in life and to be successful in this world. Whether it be relational skills or whether it be, you know, a trade skill, you know, some way to work, you know, and, and make a living at it, right? All the gifts and abilities we have, the ability we have to connect with other people, to be able to communicate. These are physical blessings of God's goodness. Have you ever counted up the blessings of God in your life? But the physical goodness of God is only a portion. And I think most of us here know that sometimes we really don't see or experience or not at this moment tasting the goodness of God in the physical realm for whatever reason. 
And if that is the only thing we're relying on, if we're only relying on our physical sense of tasting God's goodness, then there's going to be times when we despair. There's going to be times when we question whether or not God is good. Why are you doing this to me, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why is this, you know, division that's going on? Why, Lord, I, just, I, I don't know where you're at. What are you doing? Why is this, all this evil happening over and over and over again in my life? Are you really good? And so we need to be able to taste God's goodness with our spiritual sense of taste. Ephesians 1, verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you know those blessings? Can you sense God's goodness in the spiritual realm? The unseen truths, the unseen realities of God's goodness. Things like his mercy and grace. Sometimes we don't see that physically. Someday we will see it fully, physically and spiritually, when we see Jesus face to face. But in this moment, can you sense his goodness in that? That he's had mercy on your soul? that he's opened up the possibility for you to be in intimate relationship with him, that he accepts you into his family, that he's forgiven you for your sin. Are you able to sense his goodness in the fact that he is with you? will never forsake you. No matter what you're doing, he's always with you. His presence is always there. No matter what step you take, whether it's his step towards him or a step away from him, he is always with you. Jesus is holding your hand, and as you walk through life, he will give you the nudges to say, let's go this way. But we can always say no. We can always resist that nudge and go a different way. And here's the reality. Jesus will not let go of your hand. Do you recognize the goodness of his presence? That he will never leave you. But also, that because he's always with you, you are empowered for whatever comes. We don't have to fear. We don't have to fear the things of this world. We don't have to fear the trials. We don't have to fear the other shoe dropping. We have the, the creator of the universe. We have the savior of the world who is with us all the time. Always near. And the power that was in him to resurrect him from the dead, it's in us as well. We don't have to allow Satan to have his way. We don't have to be victims of all his stuff. We don't have to stand around and just take it because there's nothing we can. I mean, he's, a, he's Satan. What are we going to do? No, no. We've got the Savior of the world behind, beside us. He is the reigning king of all creation. And he's right next to us. We don't have to fear. We don't have to give in. We don't have to play Satan's games. We can deal with him. We can move past it. 
we can bring good love, righteousness into whatever situation is happening. Not because we can do it, but because we have Jesus with us. Have you recognized the spiritual blessing of the fact that Jesus is with us, but he's serving us? He knows us. He knows what we need. He knows our heart condition. He knows our head condition. He knows our physical condition. He knows it all, and he's with us, and he cares for us in that. Doesn't mean that he always fixes the things that we're struggling with, but he is with us in it, and he will comfort us. He will strengthen us. He will encourage us. He will be there for us in whatever we need in the moment. We have a God who is serving us every moment of the day. We have a God who has sacrificed for us and continues to do so. Are you able to taste the goodness of hope? Hope for today and hope for tomorrow. Do you understand that if there's anything in you that gets you up again for another day to take it on, no matter what the world's been throwing at you, no matter what pain and suffering you've been walking through, the fact that you get up another day and you have hope that maybe this day might be a little bit better, do you recognize the goodness of God in that? This is why Christians are eternal optimists. Pessimism doesn't fit in the Christian worldview. Pessimists fit in God's kingdom. Don't get me wrong. But we find that he is always giving us hope. I can change this. I can step in. I can make things different. But even if it doesn't change right now, I'm with you. I'm caring for you. I'm, I'm coming to comfort you. I'm not going to leave you. And, and, and also know this, that someday all of this will end because evil will be judged. Evil will be destroyed. And we get to spend eternity in a perfect world that he designed for us from the very beginning. Even the fruit of the Spirit are the goodness of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things are the goodness of God being poured out into our life. All of us, I think, know what anxiety is. So when we're in the midst of something that should be filling us with anxiety and we experience peace, do you think maybe that's the goodness of God? Yes. We're able to love our enemy. It's not something we can conjure up on our own. That's the goodness of God transforming our heart as we experience his love and then are able to pass that love on even to our enemies. One final thought on this uh, in regards to the tasting. I think uh, we have to understand that I think to really taste God's goodness, we need to make sure that our treasure is in the right place. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If our treasure is in this world, then we are only going to have our physical senses to judge whether something is good or bad. 
And if that's the case, and this is the world that we're striving for, right? This is it all, it's all about this, you know, this tangible physical world around us, then we are going to have a hard time tasting the goodness of God. But if our treasure is in heaven, if Jesus is our treasure, if our eternal home, if the kingdom of God is our treasure, then that opens up our eyes, opens up our taste buds to be able to taste not just the physical good things that God blesses us with, but also to be able to taste the spiritual realities around us and the goodness of God that he's done and continues to work in our life. So, can you taste God's goodness? Let me help you with a couple ideas on how to develop our spiritual taste for God's goodness. I think two things, again, I've been doing this with each of these senses. The first one is in Scripture, read the Psalms. If you're struggling to, to, to sense God's goodness, read the Psalms, the book of Psalms. It's like 150 Psalms, a lot of them. Um, but there's, there's so many great psalms in there. And, 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 and the great thing about the psalms is like so many of them start off with kind of despair. So many of them start off with, oh, man, life is just horrible. And God, where are you? What are you doing? I don't understand what's going on. I mean, everything is falling apart around me. The you know, physical taste of goodness. Like there's no physical goodness all around me. They start off that way, but then they seem to always come down in the end. And then the, the psalmist just begins to praise God. But you are good. And I know that. I've experienced it. I've seen it. I know it's real. I've tasted your goodness. And so I just encourage you, if you're struggling and you want to develop this sense of taste for God's goodness, then read the psalms more. Psalm 34, Psalm 91, Psalm 107 are all three. Those three are great chapters, and there's more, but those are three great chapters about God's goodness. You can read those, meditate on them, but read the Psalms. Second, sing praises to God. Give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18, we know this, right? You know, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We need to give thanks. Now, I think this is reality. That too, uh, you know, if we're not sensing God's goodness, oftentimes it's because we've not learned, we've not fine-tuned our thanksgiving you know, uh, you know, muscle, right? We, we need to give God the glory for so many things, right? We need to thank him for what he's been doing. All the different, I mean, thank him for the sunshine. Thank him for the rain, right? Thank him for it all. Thank him for your, your, the fact that you've got AC at your house or you've got heat at your house, right? Thank you for the fact that you've got a house. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? Thank God that you have, you know, running water. Thank God you have a, a car or maybe just a bike or what, at least two legs, right? You, got, you know what I'm saying? Thank God for every, we need, to, we need to develop this, I think, I don't know. Have you ever written out? the blessings of God, the goodness of God in your, I mean, just write them out for you personally, not just like, you know, what scripture says, but what are the things that you have actually encountered God's goodness, right? Write it out, start writing them out. If not done it, I want to encourage you. Maybe that's the third kind of thing you could do here. Start writing out, logging down, journaling down all the goodness of God because he is good. He is always good. He's always working for our good. Can you taste it? Can you taste his goodness? Are you aware of it? I think we need to know this. We need to understand his goodness. I, I read a book recently on, on outreach. 
And I just love this one little uh, kind of quote from it. And not exact quote. I don't remember the author right now because it just kind of came to me here. But anyway, but this, uh, he says, basically he says, you know, do you, do you understand that God is good? Do you know God is good? Not just with your mind, not just because you read it somewhere or someone told you, but do you, have you experienced and encountered God's goodness? Because if you haven't, then you're not going to invite people to meet him. But if we really understand and know God's goodness, we're going to tell people about him, right? Like I get a new grandkid that's coming in July. I'm telling you about it because that's good news. That's a good thing, right? I'm excited about it, right? You get, a, you get the job promotion, right? You're going to tell people about it, right? You get the house that you've been trying to buy. Like you're going to tell people about the good things that you've experienced and are experiencing, right? If you have a good God, you're going to tell people about him. And so we need to understand and know God's goodness. If you are struggling to know that God is good, then you need to add some of these things to your life. Start reading the Psalms. Start, start making your list of the goodness of God. We're going to practice as we close. So worship team, come on up. I want us, I want us to just give out, let's give glory to God. So we're not going to pass the mic around. You're just going to speak out uh, what, what good thing is God doing in your life right now? You know, or maybe just in the recent past. You know, how, what, what good things, what good aspects, what good characteristics of God have you personally experienced? All right? So, like I said, I, I, I've got a grandkid on the way in July. So that is, I mean, that's an amazing goodness from God. I am so blessed to be a part of a family that has, you know, gets to experience this. So what, what's your thing? Just, you know, uh, in a sentence, what is the good thing that you, good aspect of God that you're, you're encountering right now? Speak it out. Strength and weakness. Beautiful. Love it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. Peace and joy. Amen. What else? I have doctors who help me to feel better. Nice. Yeah. So good. He sings over me in mm. the darkest night. Mm -hmm. What else? Come on, keep it going. There's got to be more. Huh? Upcoming wedding. Upcoming wedding. Yes. Heard another one over here somewhere. Yeah, the patience and the strength. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah, amen. Who else? Is that it? Hmm, hallelujah. He's active, isn't he? Yeah. He redeemed. <laughs> Spring flowers. Yes, thank you. Daffodils.
Yeah. Cute new puppies. Chickens who lay eggs. Yes. Good friends, amen. you to keep this going this week write it down speak it out we need God is calling us to invite more people to get to know this good God and we need to know that he's good Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good. <laughs> Lord, what a joy it is to be your child. Lord, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your amazing blessings that you pour out day after day, hour after hour. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us to know more fully, not just with our minds, but Lord, help us to experience more fully your goodness. Lord, convince us, drive that truth home in our hearts that you indeed are a good, good Father. Lord, we thank you for your word that describes it and recounts the, the experiences that others have had. And as we read these passages out of Psalm 34, Lord, I pray that you would make these true about us as well. Psalm 34, verse 4 and following, I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church, for joining us this morning and coming and worshiping together. Uh, we're going to continue to worship in this room, and so if you'd like that, then please stay. We'd love to pray for you. If you'd like prayer, please come forward. We'd love to pray for you. If you'd like to fellowship with your uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, we encourage you to head out into the fellowship hall and, and make sure you're intentional about those conversations. Speak the word of life that God gives you over those individuals, but also receive the word of life that God has for you today. Thank you, church. Have a blessed Sunday.